going to share from the Word just a few simple passages that I believe is and hope is going to encourage you a little bit. Matthew 28, Jesus came and He told His disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I think most times when we speak about this message, most times when I speak about this passage of Scripture, I, I focus on the going and the doing and the making and the teaching and the baptizing. And we should. I think those are really important c- commandments and the great commission that is normally mentioned. It applies to you and it applies to me. There's a lot of focus on this passage. But I want just for a few moments today for us to focus on to the very last part of this great commission. Yes, go out and do all of these amazingly incredible things. But remember this one thing. I am with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There are a lot of really amazing promises in Scripture. A lot of promises that I hold on to, that I pray over myself and I pray over my family. I'd encourage you to do the same. But I think on a personal level, the greatest promise that I found in Scripture is this one found in Matthew 28, verse 20. There's such a beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit here tonight. But as I've just grown in my walk with Christ and learned to understand more of who He is and the way that He works and reveals Himself to us and comes into our life, one of the most precious things that I've begun to learn more and more and more is that God's presence doesn't change. The only thing that changes is my awareness of His presence. See, all that changes is how focused am I on the fact that God is here with me now. And if you got that, then you've got everything that I want to say to us this evening. Hebrews 13, the same principle. I love what it says here. Don't love money. Well, there's a great teaching right there. (laughs) Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Most of the time when we read that, we think, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. Because, you know, we live in a culture, East London probably isn't. I know you guys are all amazingly sanctified and holy, and it's just an incredible place to live. But in Pretoria, there's this little bit of a a drive that I want a bigger TV, bigger house, bigger car, bigger wife, bigger food, bigger whatever else it could be. You know, we we need more all the time. And often when we read this, it's be satisfied with what I have because what I have isn't enough. And we read this saying that Scripture says, be satisfied with what you have because what you have, your TV should be big enough, your car is big enough, your house is big enough, your wife is big enough. But that's not what the Scripture says. He says, be satisfied with what you have. And then he goes on and the writer to the Hebrews, it's sort of the one book in Scripture. We don't actually know who wrote it. It says, why should you and I be satisfied with what we have? Here's why. Because God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You see, what is that we have 
that we should be satisfied with? Him. His presence. Right at the beginning when sort of the God story begins to unfold here on earth, God comes to a man named Abram. And Abram is just a tent dweller, probably a stargazer. He's probably not too aware of God or if he has an inclination towards God. He doesn't know anything about the God that you and I know today. He has enough brain cells in his head to figure out that this didn't happen by accident. Somebody had to make all of this. I'm going to interrupt myself. I had this type of pride thing probably in my heart. I studied a lot and spent a, time in a bit of time in academia and this intellectualism thing that wants to climb in. And, and there was something inside of me that said, you know, as people today, we're just a little bit more advanced and intelligent than people years ago. We read the story of Christians or the early Christians and we think, well, we, we're just a little bit more intelligent and can figure stuff a little bit better out than they could. I don't know if you ever think like that, but I had that somewhere in the back of my mind. And I remember when it, it struck me, like, cool. There was this moment that I had. I was watching Discovery Channel. And I was watching how they were talking about building the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. And how what they wanted to do was they wanted to put a moving roof on the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff that moves so that the stadium is always in the shade. Part of the design features. And then the architect got stuck. And with all of their CAD, all of their supercomputers, all of their modern mathematics, they couldn't figure out certain elements of the design of how to make the stadium move. So you know what they did? They went and fetched the plans of the Colosseum that the Romans built. Because the Colosseum had a roof that moved so that the audience was always in the shade. And I realized they built that without one computer. They built that without any textbooks. They built that without, and I just remember sitting there and I was thinking, those guys were not stupid. As a matter of fact, here today we are stuck with problems that all of our fancy computers and CAD and design and internet and everything else, we can resource all of. But there were some highly, highly intelligent people in the past. I believe Abram was one of them, and God comes and reveals himself to him. And Abram, God makes Abram some great promises, and he stops and he says, it's not on the screen, but he says, Abram, and in the midst of all of these nations and children, as many as the stars in the sky, all of that, I am your exceedingly great reward. The kids are not your reward. The multitude of descendants are not your reward. You know what your reward is, your exceedingly great reward? It's me. And my presence. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. What is it that we have? God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? It's a promise given to the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt to Joshua. I am with you. I am with you. Repeat it over and over and over through Scripture. And Andre is going to do a whole series on the fact that we're never alone. I took the gap and slipped in one before him here. As Joshua was receiving leadership mantle, God said to him, I am with you. 
when David came and God said, I am with you. Throughout Scripture, there's this incredible promise of I am with you. Romans 8 verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? And I'd encourage you to go read the first couple of verses of Romans 8, or actually the whole of Romans 1 verse 1 to Romans 8 verse 30 to read what are all of these I would love to call their wonderful things that Scripture speaks of. What are we going to say about all of these wonderful things? And he carries on from the wonderful things. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? There's some passages here that we can spend weeks just unpacking verse at a time. It says if the father gave us his son, what else is he going to withhold from us? I've got kids, as I said earlier, and it's amazing to me how even sometimes kids think that the little thing that they have is so amazing. And as a dad, I'm looking over their lives and I'm saying, I have so much more for you than that little broken Barbie doll with their head falling off right now. The little one hit the other one over their head with a Barbie the other day and the Barbie's head went flying. And then they were all upset because apparently it was one of their favorite Barbies. So kind of super glue Barbie head. And now she's like not dancing so well anymore. It's amazing how we think we've got this little doll, this little thing here on this earth that in our frame of reference is so amazing. We hold on to it with every fiber of what we have. And yet there's a God in heaven looking down over us and said, I gave you my son. My son. Why would I keep anything else good from you? Why would I keep it from you if I'm willing to give you my son? Why would I give you my son and then not give you the rest of the stuff that pertains to life and godliness? Why would I give you the thing that costs me the most and withhold that which doesn't cost me so much? And yet it's amazing how easily we fall into that trap and we think, no, God doesn't have the best for me. Question I ask people regularly, trusting God. How do I know if I trust God? Go home, sit in your bed alone by yourself. Write down all your dreams, all your plans, all your hopes. Write them down on a piece of paper. And then ask yourself, do I believe that God's plans for me are better than these? Am I willing to believe that God's plan for me are better than my own plans for my own life? In other words, am I willing to take my plans for my life and lay them down and say, God, I would love this. But I choose to believe that the plans you have for me are better than these. I'd rather have your plan than my plan, so I'm going to take a route. And if my route takes me away from these plans a little bit, but I feel, Holy Spirit, that's where you're leading me, then I'm going to go that way. I know with many modern-day Christians, that's a hard one for us to do. Because our faith has moved from, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and Daily and follow me. If anyone desires to come after me, let him fulfill himself, pursue his dreams, and follow his heart. Sometimes that's what we preach. And yet Christ has called us to say, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. What is that all about? That's all about you and me having a list of stuff that we put so much value on. God looks at that and says, are you for real? Is that what you're going to value? 
Will you let me walk? Will you walk my way? Do you trust God? Such an important question that I wrestle with often when with my family, with my wife, with my kids, with my career or ministry or whatever it is, the way we, God, do I trust you to take me to good places or do I trust myself to take me to good places? But what are we going to say? If God is for us, who can be against us, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. From time to time, I find myself in a sticky situation. And then, you know, one of the most amazing things for me to remember right there in that moment is that there where Jesus is now, he is praying for me. He's praying for me. That encourages me. I hope it encourages you. It shouldn't encourage you too much that Jesus is praying for me, but it should encourage you that Jesus is praying for you. And when you find yourself in that spot and you don't know which way to turn, take a step back and just remind you of this one thing. Right now, Jesus is praying for me. He's pleading for me before the Father, and then it carries on and it gets even better. Can anything ever separate us? From Christ's love? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Before we carry on, because there's some really important points that come from there. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The implication is no. Can I give you the flip side of that coin? Is there anything, if there's nothing that I can do that can separate me from Christ's love? Is there anything I can do to bring me closer to Christ's love? No. If I cannot separate myself from it, then I cannot earn it. You see, it's already been done. I love the message of the cross. The gospel is not about what you and I must do. It is what Christ has already done. You see, the only thing that changes is our perception, our understanding, and if you will, our ability to receive our reception. We put up all of these walls, a thousand reasons. I'm sure we can all go through them about why God shouldn't love me and why God cannot love me and why I'm disqualified to be loved. And you know what? If there's anything that separates us from God's love, it is simply our perception and our reception of His love. From His side, nothing has changed. The same with my kids. You see, my kids can do something, break something, smash something, whatever. They can immediately feel because they've broken that glass as a silly example. Or I, I can't go to my dad now. I can't speak to my dad. I can't just go and sit on My dad's love for me has changed. Has my love for, the, for them changed? Those as parents will know, not for a moment. What's changed? Their ability to receive my love. That's what the scripture is saying to us. Can anything separate us from God's love? No. Flip side, we can't do anything to separate ourselves from it. We also can't do anything to bring ourselves near to it. We can allow ourselves to receive it. Here's such a powerful passage coming up right now. Please don't miss this. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. I wonder how often in our lives, in our Christian walk, in our modern Western Christianity, we find ourselves in a place where my boss is about to fire me. God obviously doesn't love me anymore. 
My marriage is falling apart. God doesn't love me anymore. My finances are a disaster. God doesn't love me anymore. And we measure God's love towards us by a bunch of sometimes carnal but natural elements. And the scripture is at pains to say that has absolutely nothing, your circumstances, absolutely nothing to do with God's love. Nothing. If your marriage is falling apart, come and speak to under in line to pray and speak into it and bring healing to it because God wants to heal it. But it's not because God has deserted you. It's not because he's turned his love back from you. And I want to read that again. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? No, it just means you're on this earth. I remember a conversation I had with my wife a couple of years ago. She was upset because we had a flat tire in our car, on her car. Changed the tire. And then she started going through this process. Why the flat tire? What happened? No, 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 no. All of a sudden, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the life cycle of a tire. You get a new tire. You put the tire on. At some stage, you drive over a nail or whatever it is, and the tire gets flat. You take it off, you fix it, and it carry on. We didn't have to sell the car and buy a new car. We didn't have to change up our whole driveway. We didn't have to redo and realign our whole life. We just simply have to identify that we're living in a broken world. As we go through life, life happens. We get flat tires. Getting a flat tire is not a reason for us to run away, throw our faith around, think that God has abandoned us. No, we just got a flat tire. Flat tires happen. We live in a broken world. There are nails lying all over. There's a thief who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we can get all upset about it, or we can just stop and say, God, can you just change this tire? God, I've just got a flat tire. But God, you can make it new. You can repair it. You've got your own puncture. Get right there, God. Whereas the scriptures say we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. That's a crazy promise. I think we need to preach this a little bit more. God has a plan for your life. It might include you being sawed in half. That's biblical. Hebrews 10 speaks about the heroes of the faith. Can I freak us out quickly a little bit? Hebrews 10 speaks about the great cloud of witnesses. Sorry, 11, the great cloud of witnesses. The men and women that we all look up to in the faith. They give us goosebumps when we read their stories. Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, father of faith. Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons to Jacob and Esau. And then it carries on. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people. And so it carries on and... The people of Israel went through the Red Sea. And how much more do I, and Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people because of her faith. How much more do I need to say? It would take me too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lion, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of their sword. Their, de- their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. These are great men and women of God. I don't know about you, but these are individuals that says, put whole armies to flight. That's pretty crazy. Women received their loved ones back again from the death. 
And then it carries on. But others were torching, tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. I love that. It was their faith that had them sawn in two, not their lack of faith. Isn't it amazing how in modern Christianity, whenever calamity hits someone's life, our first thing we say, it's your lack of faith. Well, you know, perhaps it's their faith that's brought them to that point. Read a story just recently. Some of you may have seen, hopefully you didn't see it. I made a decision not to watch it, but I heard the account of so much of what's happening in the Middle East, how Christian after Christian after Christian are having their heads sliced off because of their faith. And on one of the videos, an account came out later that one of the guy on video who had his head sliced became a believer that morning. But he said, for Christ's name, I will not turn back. This is because of faith. See how Western Christianity has become so comfortable and we think, how do I know God loves me? Well, how big is my house? How do I know how much God loves me? Well, he sent his son. What more could he do? No, despite all of these things, what are all of these things? Trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitution, danger, or threatened with death. Are any of them indications of God's love for us? Absolutely not, because despite all of these things that might happen, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. And some of us still need to wake up to the reality that there are demons, and Scripture speaks about them very clearly. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, and that's a scary thought. There's some powers hanging around somewhere in the earth below that one day we're going to understand Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's nothing that can separate you from His love. It is a sure promise. I am with you always. Always. So this evening, as we go from here, we're going to read one more passage. But before we do that, I want to encourage you with this one word. I want you to think of yourself differently. You see, sometimes we think we come to church and I've just changed the way I pray. I don't pray anymore. Holy Spirit, be here. He's already said He's going to be here. I hate that when my kids come and ask me for stuff that I've already said I'm going to do it. Hey guys, after church today, we're going to get some ice cream. Great. Five minutes later, Daddy, can we have some ice cream after church? Well, I just said five minutes ago. Yes, we can. And you know, the more they keep asking, Daddy, can we have ice cream? Daddy, please, can we have ice cream after church? The more I want to say, no, we're not going to have ice cream after church. I don't think God is like that. I don't think He registers that frustration with us. If He did, I would have been wiped out long ago. But I do think sometimes we go, Holy Spirit, please be with us. And He's like, did He even read this? Holy Spirit, be with me when I go to work today. Well, did He even read this? Holy Spirit, be with me when I go ask that girl out today. Well, did He even read this? Holy Spirit, would you be with me in the job interview, in the court case, in the struggle? 
Did you even read this? I'm not saying we mustn't ask, don't misunderstand me. I just think there's an awareness of His promise towards us that I am with you always. How about God make me aware that you are with me? God, show me how you are with me. God, open my eyes to see what you are doing with me. I want us to think about ourselves a little bit different. And the way I want you to think about yourself a little bit different is when you go out of here. The Holy Spirit is so precious here. We're going to pray for some people a little bit later. I believe God is wanting to do something precious in our hearts. He wants to meet with every one of us in a unique way tonight. But you know, when you go here, you know the one thing that you do not do is you do not go from His presence. We do not come to His presence and leave from His presence. But you know what you do do? We come and we get an awareness of His presence. And so tomorrow morning, guess what? He is with you when you wake up, in the shower, getting in the car, going to work, going to class, every single place you are going. Do you know what you are? You are a carrier of the presence of God. When you are sitting in that boardroom, when you have that difficult decision to make, when you are in that relational conflict, when you're busy writing the test, when you're in front of the TV, when life is happening, when life is not happening, do you know one thing you can be sure of? That the Holy Spirit is there with you and you are a carrier of the presence of God into that place. Can you imagine how our lives would look if we went into the boardroom and I walked with this awareness not to be funny, not to be clever, not to be arrogant, but just holding on the promise of God that, God, when I walk into this boardroom, you are with me always. So that means, God, you are here in this boardroom. I'm just going to choose to be aware of that. God, when I go home to my wife, you are there with me in my home, in the family, in every single situation. You are a carrier of the presence of God because God cannot lie. If He looked at you and He looked at me, He said, I want you guys to go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, it's one thing. I'm with you always. You see, there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from Him, and there's nothing we can do to make us draw near to Him. He is already as close as He can ever be. The only thing we can do is to learn to receive it. To be aware of it. King David, the great king, apart from Jesus himself, obviously, wrote a beautiful psalm, Psalm 139. I want to read it for us because David understood this. Watch what David says here. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. It's not like even if I wanted to, I can't. Watch what he carries on to say. If I go up to heaven, obviously we expect God to be there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. This is a bit more modern translation. Some of the more traditional, slightly more accurate translations say, if I make my bed in the pit of hell, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, that must be pretty fun. If I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me 
and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. This evening, I simply want to encourage you with this one word. You are never alone, ever, ever. Two things I want us to remember, that there is nothing that can separate you from His love. When you go through a difficult time, when life happens, when you get that flat tire in the cycle of life, when the wheel falls off, when the panic wants to come, just take a step back and remind yourself of one thing. This is not a sign that God has deserted me. Scripture is so clear about that. So one thing I want us to hear this evening, the other thing I want us to hear is that when we walk out of this place to wherever we're going to go in this week, touch what we touch, do what we do, see what we see, be where we go, go there knowing that you carry the presence of the living God with you. It's not that's changed. It's not that you haven't been doing that. It's just perhaps we haven't been aware of it. You see, His presence doesn't change based on our awareness. Our awareness of His presence just changed based on our awareness. It's not like He's there more or less. But there's something about when we tap into God is with me. We step into a place and we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and invade that place because He is with us. He's with us. He's with you and He is with me. And the reality is there is nothing that anybody can ever tell me to make me think different because Jesus said, I am with you always. Always. There is no time and there is no moment that He's not with you. Let's be carriers of the presence of God.